Bible is packed of uh, reminders about how much God values love and how important and fundamental it is to us as his children. Here are just a few verses that help give a glimpse into the love of God. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. That's in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Peter writes, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And Paul again in 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, if I have faith enough to even move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And finally, Paul writes to the Galatian church in chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, sharing that in sharp contrast to the world around, God's people, that's us, isn't it, should be those who demonstrate and produce the following fruit of the Spirit. And the first one, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's this love within the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to look at specifically today. And we get the advantage of a little more time to be able to look deeper at the love we find in the Bible and the love that God wants us to experience and to share with the world. We can tell that God is clearly serious about wanting us to acknowledge his great love, to experience it, to grow in it, and to share it with others. For in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked by the religious people of the day, what's the greatest commandment? And he replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then straight away, he joins this other commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. He puts them together like the heads and tails of a coin, doesn't he? Now, the good news is, is that we're not left on our own to try and develop these attributes of love. This is the work of the Holy Spirit and not just results we're expected to somehow achieve on our own. Uh, the truth is, we probably won't manage to become more loving left to our own devices. But the good news is that the Spirit working in us, step by step, softens our hearts and helps us to love in a way that delights God. Now, that all sounds great. I'm sure, but what does that word love really mean? In our own lives, in one breath, I may express my love for pizza or chocolate, and shortly afterwards, I'm expressing love for my wife or my mother. Let me tell you one thing for sure. If you're having a TV supper and you're having pizza, and you say you love your pizza, and then say you love your wife, well, here's a little life skill for you, a bit of life coaching. You better be able to run fast and hide well because you're definitely going to be in trouble. There's obviously, isn't there, a difference between our love for pizza, a football team, or a movie, and our love for each other and for God. At least I hope there's a difference. So let's try and get a better understanding of this word love as we find it defined in the Bible. Now, in the Hebrew language, the language of the Old Testament, there are four primary words used for love. But they're not always translated in the versions that we read as love. You have racham. That talks of tender mercies. Whenever you see tender mercies, the Hebrew word is racham. There's dod. That's a physical love, a sexual love between a husband and wife. There's ra, which is a brotherly love. And then there's ahava. That's a broader type of love. And it's the word most used in the Old Testament. It's this word that we're going to spend a few moments digging into. We find that 
uh, Ahava love is more than just a physical or familial love. We get to understand Ahava better when we read a few stories in the Bible, like this. Um, there's Abraham, and he had Ahava for his son Isaac. That's a parental love, isn't it? Then there's Jonathan, King Saul's son. He showed Ahava for his friend David. That's a brotherly love. In fact, a whole group of people can have Ahava for their leader, just like the Israelites showed love, Ahava, for King David. Ahava can describe a loyalty between political allies. Like there's a guy called Hiram, he was the king of Tyre, and he loved Ahava, David. They had such good relations that Hiram wanted to help David's son Solomon to build the temple. These are all different kinds of affection, but described with one word, Ahava. Now all of this is actually helpful because it helps us to understand God's Ahava in the Old Testament and how it should affect our lives. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses told the Israelites, God showed affection for you. He chose you because of his love for you, because of his Ahava for you. God doesn't love his people because they earned it or deserve it. It just simply originates from God's very own character. He loves because he loves, and he is love. That's why the prophet Jeremiah, when we read him, he describes God's love as being everlasting, never changing. God's love isn't a duty, it's a genuine feeling. It's an affection that God experiences. Maybe, possibly, it's one of the strongest things that God feels. But that doesn't mean that God's love is just a feeling. God's love is an action. It's something that God chooses to do. Like when we read Moses, um, he says, because of his ahava for your ancestors, because of God's love for your ancestors, he brought you out of Egypt with great power. God's love is just not a sentiment alone. It's something God does. As a result of his love, we, as his people, we're called to respond to God's achava, God's love, by showing achava in return to God. We read this in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5 when Moses instructs the people saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall achava the Lord your God with all your heart. And just like God's love, human love should show itself through actions. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 to 13 says, um, what does the Lord your God ask of you? Except to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to love, to achava him, and serve him and keep his commands. All of these actions for a believer are centered around love. If I'm not doing them, I don't actually love God. I just say I do. Ouch. Maybe we need to pause there for a moment just to check out in, in our own lives, is there a credibility gap between what we say we believe and what we actually do? And if there's a discrepancy, you know, it's time to make some alterations in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. God doesn't want there to be a credibility gap in us. It leads to one last thing we can say about Ahava in the Old Testament, and that is that I show my love for God by how I treat the people around me. Deuteronomy 10, verses 18 and 19, 
um, we read, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he shows Ahava for the immigrants among you, giving them food and clothing. And so you also should show Ahava for the immigrant. So the people of God, that's us, by the way, we are to imitate God's Ahava by showing Ahava love for others. And that's the idea underneath the instruction in Leviticus 19.18 that says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And they're the very words, aren't they, that Jesus said in Mark 12 and verse 31. We should have love for our neighbors. There's a cycle of love from God, love to God, love to each other. Now that is believing and living in Ahava, love of God. Now, in the Old Testament, we do come across another Hebrew word, and it's often translated as love, and that is the word chesed. The problem with spelling it C-H-E-S-E-D is that some people pronounce the ch like cheese. Chesed doesn't work. But there is a K-H. It's a hard sound. It's in the back of the throat. Chesed. And to help our pronunciation of this, some people spell chesed K-H-E-S-E-D, or they spell it with a hard H at the front, chesed, H-E-S-E-D. We're going to do that. This word is found around 250 times in the Old Testament, and many times it's just translated as love. It appears first in Genesis 19, when Lot speaks to some angels and says, your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great love, chesed, to me. And lastly, in Zechariah 7 and 9, where the prophet says, this is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show loving kindness, that's chesed, and compassion to one another. Now, our problem is this, that we just don't have an equivalent word in the English language that fully expresses the true meaning of chesed. As a consequence, various translators have used different words to explain the amazing love chesed of God. The Wycliffe Bible um, and the modern English Standard Version, they translate Hesed as steadfast love. Whereas the King James and Geneva Bible, they were written in the early 1600s, they translate Hesed as goodness. And meanwhile, Jung's literal translation, that was back in 1862, they translated Hesed as kindness. The word English Bible uses two words in their translation, loving kindness. And the NASB, the New American Standard Bible that was written in the 60s, translates chesed as faithfulness. Well, for many, the popular NIV version simply translates chesed as love. Clearly, this chesed love is powerful. It's eternal. It impacts individuals and nations and expresses something of the divine nature of God, as well as being something which should be found in his people. That's us. Hesed describes an emotion. It links to salvation and binds the relationship between people and the covenants of God. It's something that endures throughout all time. Now, David expressed his confidence in God's loving kindness, Hesed, in Psalm 23 and verse 6, when he said, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. That loving kindness, remember, two words, chesed. The prophet Micah, he used the word to describe our duty before God when he writes, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, chesed, 
and to walk humbly with your God. And Zechariah speaks of our relationship with one another. Thus has the Lord of hosts said, dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion, chesed, each to his brother. So in the Old Testament, we found in particular these two powerful words for love, achava and hesed. Both speak not only of God's own nature, but also of the lifestyle and behavior we, his people, should encounter, we should experience, we should display, and we should share. As we move into the New Testament, we gain a greater understanding of God's love and how it should touch and change our lives. As the gospel in the New Testament uh, spread around the world, the Greek language was used rather than the Hebrew or Aramaic tongue that Jesus spoke in. In the Greek language, there are actually four words to express the word love. Just briefly, they're filio, that's uh, brotherly love and friendship. Uh, there's also eros. Now, that's a physical, a sexual love, the kind of love that you would find between a husband and a wife. There's storge which is a familial love. That's illustrated by, you could find that love between a mother and a child or close family members. And then there's this word agape. We'll just express that as unconditional love at the moment. It's this agape love, or its verb form is agapeo, that's found over 200 times in the New Testament. And it's the love that is mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. It's also there in God so loved, he agaped the world that he gave his only son. The normal Christian life should be a life where we are filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God. And that we produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We're to be like Jesus. That shouldn't be difficult because we have his divine DNA in us. We shouldn't have to strain to produce this fruit. In fact, the more we love him and the more we know the Holy Spirit, the more we are going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe sometimes if we have a lack of love or any of the other fruit, we should take a pause and just ask ourselves, how's our relationship with the Holy Spirit doing? Have we asked him to fill us afresh? Have we got to know him more intimately? Jesus taught that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to you know according to Jesus this kind of generous love this agape love reflects the very heartbeat of God he took this even further though didn't he Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing in return. Now for us, listen, I can say it for me, it can be okay, maybe it can be easy to express agape love to those we like, but to have to do that towards our enemies, now that is a radical lifestyle, you know, but it's the one that Jesus calls us to, to be an enemy-embracing love, that it just, it reflects the character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus today if he just said some words like, love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. 
He consistently moved towards the poor and the hurting people who couldn't benefit him in any way, shape, or form. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks in society. We've got those people all around us, haven't we? Jesus genuinely modeled this agape love for his disciples and followers, for his enemies, and for us, his disciples. This agape love may at times involve an emotion, but it must always involve action. Agape love is unrestricted, it's unrestrained, and it's unconditional. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, God demonstrated his own love, agape, for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, in 1 John 4 and verse 9, he wrote that God's own love, agape, was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And then, for John, it naturally leads to this conclusion. Beloved ones, he says, if that's how God loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. We ought to show agape for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe, there's a God who loves this world, and this God wants all humans to receive this love. When we've received it, what we're called to do then is to give it back out to others. And we do this by always having the agape love, the first fruit of the Spirit, present in an ever-increasing measure in our lives. Hope that helps.